0: Hello, I'm Peter Ayers and you're listening to STAGES, the podcast that converses with creatives about craft, career and what matters to them. Chris Edmund is a director, teacher, writer and painter. He was head of the acting department at the Western Australian Academy of Performing Arts, where he had a significant role in developing the world renowned acting and directing training over the last 25 years. He is a published playwright, with his work receiving high critical acclaim. And as a painter, he has had several exhibitions, most recently at the Brunswick Street Gallery in Melbourne. His work, Dirty Laundry, which he wrote and directed, was performed at the Smock Alley Theatre Dublin in 2014. Edmund commenced his career in London, where he directed for the Gate Theatre Notting Hill, the Riverside Studios, the King's Head, and New End Theatres. He also directed for regional companies and has worked in the United States as director and teacher. In a varied and vivid career, he has also completed a stint as The Pronouncer on the highly successful Channel 10 reality show, The Great Australian Spelling Bee. Chris is a super bloke and a consummate artist and teacher. In this conversation,
1: he demonstrates exactly why.
0: The wonders of technology.
1: Amazing, isn't it? (laughs) yeah i've done some teaching on zoom with dublin actually it's kind of it's can you hear me okay peter yeah yeah it's great sound oh good
0: good yeah so
1: uh, yeah how are you
0: uh, good good we were um when the when the pandemic broke we were forced to teach at home for about three weeks unlike our poor uh, melbourne cousins who've been doing it uh, for for much longer but uh, i i loved it um the kids really responded well with the technology and I think improved focus. Uh, but I would hate to do it um an
1: ongoing. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's and you, you're well? Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, sort of relieved the plays the plays on and you know, being well received and all the rest of it, you know, selling out or sold out. So um, you know, that's really good. I think it's a you know, it's a good production, all the elements good, great design and interesting script and um, you know she's pretty extraordinary so yeah it's been um, you know I just feel very fortunate to be quite honest you know when everyone else is you know, very few places in the world can actually make theatre and people sit in the full theatre bizarre. Well,
0: well I was going to open this conversation with how have you been managing to amuse yourself during COVID-19 but um, of course talking to somebody in WA it's a very different experience.
1: It's a completely different experience, yes. We've been been really so fortunate and, um, you know, to be able to, you know, it's sort of, it's worked in our favour in a bizarre way in that, you know, Kate Walsh was here and I was here and um, the lighting designer, Matt Marshall, who normally works in the States, happened to be here. And so, you know, we're all, you know, suddenly in this, uh, in, in WA and able to do a project. So, you know, I mean, quite extraordinary.
0: In the WA bubble... So tell me, uh, Kate Walsh, who, you know, is a star of Grey's Anatomy and has done several films in, in the States. What's she doing in Perth?
1: Well, I think she was, she was visiting friends and, um, uh, you know, got, got kind of very interested in, in WA and travelled around and then COVID struck and so she decided, rather than return to New York, I think she decided to stay a bit longer and she's been um, extraordinarily proactive, you know, advocating for... Um, you know, uh, studios to be built here, which has been discussed for many years, but it looks like it's going to be a reality now. Actually, changing, I think, maybe Fremantle Port into a into film studios, and um, so it's actually potentially incredibly exciting for WA and to attract productions from all, all around the world.
0: Isn't that wonderful? And uh, of course, the big mm. shift from the uh, Whopper Campus from at Lawley into the CBD. Into
1: the I know. <laughs> Perth's the place to be. Oh, God, you'd be nowhere else. Yes, I mean, I feel, I mean, I was, you know, I was living in Melbourne for, uh, you know, the last sort of five or six years after I left Whopper and uh, just moved back because both my sons are living in Perth and uh, I moved back. So it's been a very fortunate move in, in so many right. ways, actually. Yeah. Are, are you a grandparent yet? I'm not, no, no. I wouldn't mind. But I've, I've got, <laughs> yes, I've got... I need a stern word with them, I think. <laughs> Get on with it if I'm too old to put a, a baby around in a prayer. So the,
0: the play that you directed uh, is The Other Place, which I think had a production at Melbourne Theatre Company, but this was the uh, debut production for uh, the Fremantle Theatre Company, which are a new company in Perth?
1: A completely new company, yes. Yeah. It's at the, the Victoria Hall, which um, um used many years ago, Deckchair Theatre Company. And uh, Renato Fabretti, who's produced it, has uh, produced the production, uh, you know, has got hold of Victoria Hall and, you know, has managed to persuade the Fremantle Council that a, a, a new theatre company would be a good thing. So in the midst of COVID, to start a new theatre company is quite an extraordinary achievement. So, you know, really hats off to to him. He's a Whopper graduate, of course. So I, of I course. Expect him to be there.
0: Make, makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, <laughs> so... Being in Perth and in that safe sort of WA bubble at the moment, has, did COVID impact very much on, on the production process? Did you have to observe specific rules? or?
1: No, not really. I mean, it's quite extraordinary that, you know, we had a, a briefing um, from stage management at the beginning, but, um, uh, you know, but audience can sit next to one another as as usual and, um, and there are some quite intimate moments in the play which we were able to... Um, you know to 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 rehearse um, fully without you know having you know so, uh, you know having to acknowledge all those restrictions so it's um bizarrely it's it's kind of been life as as normal and uh, a rehearsal process um as usual so you know very strange
0: that's wonderful but but so bizarre you <laughs> yes, know I, I remember that time without masks and when sanitizer was just something you would use on nappies.
1: <laughs> that's, that's right. Yes, I mean, how things have changed. You know, I was actually working in Mauritius in um, February and just got back in time just to, you know, so uh, yeah, it, it, extraordinary.
0: Perth is such a, a vibrant place, for a place that's so geographically removed from the rest of the country. You know, of mm. course, we've got the, that wonderful school there that we both know and love, the West Australian Academy of Performing Arts, but so many theatre companies. Black Swan, Deck Chair, uh, Barking Gecko, the Blue Room. And, uh, you know, in my time there in the 90s, there was Effie Crump and The Hole in the Wall and the Perth Theatre Company. What is it about Perth which attracts so much artistic endeavour?
1: Um, it, it's a difficult, you know, I don't know really how to answer that. Um, I think because unfortunately some of those theatre companies you mentioned are no longer. Yeah. Um, deck chair, Perth Theatre Company um, is, is no more. Uh, the Blue Room, unfortunately, you know, which as you know is been a hub of new work and uh, you know, in, interesting work. Um, you know, they've had their funding drastically cut. So um, at the moment, there isn't as vibrant a feeling as you know there was when I first came to mm. to Perth, or even in the '90s when there was a whole sense of uh, of possibility and uh, exploration of of work. So I think that for a variety of reasons, isn't, you know, it's not as vibrant as it was, unfortunately. So that's why having a new theatre company and a production that's been very well received is, um, you know, hopefully a massive plus and, you know, an inspiring, uh, an inspiring event. Yeah.
0: Um, It's not to mention the, of course, Perth also has a ballet company, the oldest one in Australia, and an opera company, a symphony orchestra. It's, um, Right, yes,
1: it, 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 I mean that they. I've always thought the potential here has always been quite extraordinary, and um, in some in some ways it hasn't reached that, you know, that full potential. I think of you know having, you know, the W. I. Theatre Company went to the wall, and you know, you know what I mean. So, uh, many uh, many things have been tried, and some have really succeeded. I mean, I think Black Swan in the early days with Andrew Ross and doing that you know his his wonderful work with you know indigenous work and evolving that was such an exciting time and uh, the quality of the work was excellent but I think it's been a bit more hit and miss since then to be quite honest. Yeah
0: yeah I I think the ambition of moving Whopper into the CBD is to create an arts precinct and a a new uh, world educational hub. uh, Yes and and I, 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 I
1: I think that's you know I, I think that's a, a, such a wonderful idea in development. So, fingers crossed. You know I think it's in, in about five years' time that will come to fruition. So, um, yeah, very very exciting time. So I, I do think um, you know with the film and with you know new theatre companies and Whopper, it's uh, you know perhaps another you know a, a real you know Perth time again.
0: Mm. Chris, you've traversed a career as an actor and a teacher and a director, but you've also embraced
1: the visual arts.
0: When did that fascination begin?
1: <laughs> uh, my painting, yeah, yeah. yeah well, I'm, oh God. only well, actually, only about ten years ago. It's a very sort of bizarre story because I'd never painted before in my life, um, all about, you know, daubing a bit at school and all the rest of it. Um, and I was, I got stuck um, with my writing. You know, I had kind of a, a kind of writer's block and um someone suggested to me um that actually what a really good that they knew someone who had got similarly stuck but in another area in fact in dance and choreography and they were kind of frozen and you know couldn't work and um someone said to them don't slog away at that try something completely different so i thought all right i'll give that so i went out and bought some you know canvas and paints and um yeah and i've had you know a series of exhibitions and sell a lot of stuff so um, yeah, it's kind of weird how things work out. But uh, it kind of made total sense to me. To, if you're stuck in one area, don't, you know, don't just stick at that and you know, hit your head against a brick wall, go for something completely different. And that freed me up as a writer, bizarrely, as well. So it was a very fortuitous um, event.
0: Well, it is extraordinary, I think, how many theatre artists actually do paint uh, on the yes. site. Just as another interest, another expression
1: absolutely and so many you know so many people that i you know recently bought some uh you know bob dylan paints beautiful stuff you know he's so not the only you know, nobel prize winner and had that career he's also you know infuriating isn't it how gifted he is <laughs> <laughs> now
0: chris where did you grow up
1: um, i grew up in hertfordshire in in england just um 35 miles north of london my dad worked uh worked in London and so commuted every day to, to King's cross. And um, yeah, so, so I had that Southern suburban English upbringing, uh, you know, sort of post-war, you know, I grew up kind of in the fifties when it was fairly, you know, things were gray and bleak in England, you know, post-war, um, you know, grayness. And, um, and then of course came the sixties and <laughs> all that. I was watching, um, a documentary about the Beatles last night actually got eight days a week and just thinking about how extraordinary it was for us who grew up who were growing up in fifties and then that sudden explosion of creativity and you know England suddenly in London, the, the center of the universe, and then you know, directing in London and being a part of all that was such an an amazing time
0: such an exciting time but not not only music but 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 but, but all the arts fashion and and, and painting and, and the theater everything
1: yes you know all the kind of early Hockney and you know i, I worked as an usher at the old Witch, um, in london which was the london base of the royal shakespeare company so i saw you know all peter brooks amazing productions merit art you know all that all all that when the royal shakespeare company was really flexing its muscles not only in stratford but you know doing new work amazing new work in london so that's where I learnt my kind, you know, watching that kind of theatre. I'm very fortunate because I saw amazing quality theatre regularly. What a privileged,
0: privileged position to be in as a, a burgeoning artist to, to be able to... I mean, that's a class, isn't it? Every night that you're on the job.
1: Every night, yes. Yeah, so I'd be an usher and then I could actually just stand in, in, inside the door and just watch, you know, Paul Schofield or you know, whoever it might be, all these great actors and, and actually beginning to understand you know how they did it how it varied actually sometimes i remember seeing an albert finney um, production several times and just seeing you know how it changed from night to night how when he was really on it or when he was just slightly missing and you know all those interesting things that we talk about in theater how do we recreate it every night how do we make it vibrant and you know the same but but also organic you know and and so all those questions were quite relevant to me at that at that time. So I'm, you know, I'm forever grateful for that. And seeing such standard of work, I think, was, you know, instilled in me that theatre can be that amazing.
0: You mentioned Marit Saad. Were you there on the, the the ground floor for any great plays that have become part of the repertoire?
1: Um, uh, from from the, that, that time?
0: Yeah, time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: The... yeah, well, they were all, you know, there were Peter Brook's uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, all, all those ones, Peter Hall's Walls of the Roses, of course. Um, which you know completely changed the way not only Shakespeare was spoken, you know it was much more realistic much more much more tough, and the productions were more realistic and much more hard edged i think you know so david warner 's Hamlet all those extraordinary um, you know extraordinary actors doing you know some of their their very very best work is i remember I remember going to the old rich and being you know a member a kind of member of uh, you know, the kind of Rorschach, company supporters and just a whole sense of possibility and camaraderie. It was, it, it was an amazing time, which, um, you know, I remember so fondly.
0: Did you... So uh lucky growing up where I did, in other words. Yeah, you're very fortunate, very fortunate. Did, did you attend the theatre as a child? Was that something the family did?
1: No, not at all. Occasional pantomimes in London at Finsbury Park. <laughs> we used to trail up there, but neither of my parents were... Um, were interested in theatre and, um, no, so, uh, you know, n- not at all as a child. It was really, as a teenager, and I had, like like many people I'm sure you've spoken to, I had a, a teacher at school who was incredibly inspiring and who kind of really, um, you know, guided me and helped me in my ambitions in, in, in theatre, and I'm, you know, forever grateful to him and his enthusiasm and guidance, you know, great, a wonderful man.
0: Extraordinary, isn't it, how so many of us can come from families that have no artistic sensibility or interest, then all of a sudden no, no, we right. just we just have to be in the spotlight, we have to be on a stage, we have to, to be able to create and, and make theatre.
1: Yes, although, uh, you know, as you know, I trained as an actor, but um, very rapidly changed to directing, um, which I'm very grateful about, rather than, because... Um, we, we had, it was kind of almost an epiphany for me because we, in, in my third year at drama school, we had a thing called Creativity Fortnight, which I think they meant, you know, they didn't know what to do with this, so to go and create something. And uh, someone in my year, um, who I still speak to very regularly, um, said, Will you direct me in something? And I said, Sure. And um, it's a one man show. Uh, and uh, when I started directing, I suddenly thought, Oh, okay this is right this feels um rather acting even though it's something i wanted to do never felt quite right i was struggling at drama school i think i think the teachers knew i had something but weren't quite sure what and then i suddenly kind of found what i could do really well i think rather than you know if i gone on as an actor, I, I think I would have really struggle. So I'm very grateful for that experience. You know, and We did it at the drama school, then we did it at a, a little theatre in the West End. So my first production was in the West End. which
0: I... <laughs> <laughs> So with direction, did you feel that you had... Um your hands all over the big picture rather than just a tiny aspect? Yes, I had, think
1: it was that. I, uh, I think it was that. Career. And also I think because I trained as an actor, I had the ability to help actors. I understood what they, they go through. And I think, you know, where they needed guidance, where they needed a push, where they needed encouragement, you know, just to sort of, um, to, to craft a performance. I think I, I kind of understood that from uh, from that from that time. And yes, and it just suited my temperament, I think. You know, I, I think to be a successful actor you know it's a matter of talent it's a matter of temperament often and how you cope with all you know all the terrible things the rejections and the stresses and the disappointments of being an actor to be quite honest um and as a director I just felt more in control I think you know I was more in control of the whole picture as you as you say um, and how I could how I could manage that whole whole thing you know so that that was um that was when I, I really felt I've, I've come home when I started directing plays. And then I went and directed in rep in the north of England and directed everything from Agatha Christie's to Alan Bennett's to Chekhov's to Shakespeare and learned my craft for a couple of years. So so um, your formal
0: training was more or less on the job rather than through school?
1: Oh, I, I had no formal training as a director at all. Um, right. I'd worked with a, a director um, at drama school. Who I got on really well with a, dra- a great guy, and he just took a um, you know a leap of faith with me really, and said, um, you know, would you like to be my associate director in uh, this re- a repertory company um, in the north of England? And uh, you know, I, I and I think as a director, you learn very quickly whether you can do it or not. And I was working at I was a young you know I was about twenty six or something like that, um, and you know, working with very, very experienced actors. Some who've just been working with Peter Brook oddly enough and, you know, some really experienced actors, up-and-coming actors. And so I learned fairly quickly that, yes, I could do this. I could relate to very experienced actors and, you know, help them. and They weren't dismissive of me. So, you know, it, that, that was um, a very fruitful experience. And then I went back to London and started directing you know, the Gate Theatre in Notting Hill, which was then and still is one of the leading theatres, kind of fringe alternative theatres, Riverside Studios, King's Head, all those kinds of theatres with really quite amazing actors. So, um, you know, it was an interesting time.
0: Were your parents happy about a career in the arts?
1: Um, I don't think so. Um, I went to Roseborough College where Gary Oldman went and I think it was a place to... Uh, you also got a teaching qualification, so I think it was the thing we all said to our parents: "Yeah, we're we're going to be actors, but also we'll get a qualification." So they went, "All oh, right." You know, it, it was a <laughs> So um, you know, and Gary Oldman again, you know, kind of South London working-class kid. You know, they they're, they're the kind of things I imagine that you know he, his parents also said to him: you yeah, we'll get what Whatever happened to him? Job. I oh, don't know. Whatever did happen to Gary? I, <laughs> I see he's in
0: a new film on um, about Mankiewicz, the screenwriter.
1: Oh, is he? Well, Mankiewicz is yes. such a fascinating character. Yeah, yes. such a fascinating yes. <laughs> It's called
0: yes. Ma- Man- Man- Mank, I think. Max, I saw a preview oh, yeah, for him the think other night. Yeah. Like
1: yes. Yeah. 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 He, he wrote Citizen Kane, that Mankiewicz, isn't it? With yes. awesome yeah. work.
0: Yeah, absolutely. A, a lot, lot, lot of, of those big films. An
1: alcoholic, yeah. terrible yes. alcoholic.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's extraordinary it, it, how we're seeing these films. Because um, uh, what was that? Gumbo with uh, Brian. Um, you know, who's in Breaking Bad? There was another film about. Oh, Brian about Cranston. It. Brian Cranston, yes. Um, uh, yeah, you can find anything to tell a story about, can't you?
1: Yes, you, you, can. <laughs> you can. There's a wonderful anecdote about Mankiewicz. He, because uh, he was an alcoholic, he was. Um, well, it's a terrible story. I shouldn't really say it, but apparently he vomited at a dinner party. And his, you know, everyone was horrified. He said, at least I brought the white, white wine up with the fish. And I thought... <laughs>
0: <laughs> Lovely line. Only a writer could... A that.
1: I hope they put that in the film.
0: Okay. Uh, do you have favourite playwrights whose work you like to direct?
1: Um, yeah, I do. Um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Carol Churchill. I think her, her work is... Um, <laughs> It's quite extraordinary. You know, she's in her 80s now. and She just had um, a series of uh, plays, short plays on at the Royal Court. And all the reviews just said she's still managing to, you know, push the envelope and, you know, create new ways of writing. And, uh, and I just think that's so extraordinary.
0: She's big fan straight. of Mark McDonagh.
1: I love that. I love that. You know, I love his harshness and bleakness and humour. And, you know, I, I think he's, he's a wonderful playwright. And all the old favourites, you know, Sam Shepard and Pinter had a big big effect on me.
0: Wow. Yes. I agree with all of those choices. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> You've directed um, over 150 productions. That's that's quite a, a few runs on the board.
1: Um, oh, blind, no. Horrible thought.
0: Do you have an opening night ritual? Are you, are you superstitious in the theatre? Is there something that you, you need to do um, in order to, to feel right?
1: No, yeah, not sit in the audience. <laughs> I, I never sit in the audience. I sit with a glass of wine somewhere um you know you're usually up with a set in this case but in Fremantle up with it i sit up with a stage manager and who's running the show and i just sit by the side to have a glass of wine i'm too i'm too um demented with worry and opening mean that sit. but I, i'm not a superstitious person in any other ways i don't have any other rituals i just don't like to be kind of trapped in an audience in case anything goes wrong or
0: can you, after, once the season starts, can you listen to the audience just to gauge where the responses are working for you? Yes,
1: I can, yes. And I like going in and just to see. Because a big part of directing, I think, is to kind of get the rhythm of the play right, you know, and then it's kind of, if you can unleash that somehow, if you can find that key to find what the playwright's do in terms of pacing and where to, you know, how to craft, you know, and, and for a director, has to be in control of that rhythm, I think. Of, of, of the play you know where it's really, where it needs to be quick where it needs to be tight where we can breathe a little bit so i'm always interested in you know seeing how the audience responding you know and how whether they're get when they're engaged when they're leaning forward or whether you know they sit back and can look at their program those moments we don't like you know and uh so yeah i like keeping an eye on, on, on an audience and seeing how they how they how they're responding of course you know it's it's in this particular play, you know, I think it varies quite a lot from night to night, in terms of, um, you know, what, what what the actors bring to it, because it's a small cast, and I've given them the kind of liberty to really let it live and be absolutely kind of there. So it just, sh- I mean, it's, you know, it shifts very slightly, but you know, in, in significant ways as well. It's an interesting balance.
0: What about that other occupational evil, the
1: reviews? Do you read the reviews? Um, I do read reviews, um, yes, yeah, I don't know, I shouldn't really. Um, yeah. yes, what, do,
0: what do they do for the creative artist, I mean, we're a vulnerable lot at the best of times.
1: Um, I know, they don't do anything much. I, I like John Gielgud's thing, he said, I'd let a bad review ruin breakfast but never lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Wise words. Uh, uh, yes, uh, yeah, it's funny. You know, some of these we've got very good reviews for this play, and I remember, and it said something about me being skillful. And I remember uh, Michael Billington, who was the leading critic in in London in the in seventy for a long time, but re- reviewed one of my plays, and he said Chris Edmund directs skillfully, and I was kind of vaguely disappointed. I thought, oh, you know, he could have said you know genius or, and I thought actually nothing wrong with skill, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, the choice of the right word. Now, the Western Australian Academy of Performing Arts, you were head of uh, acting there for about 11 years, I believe, but it was 30 years years all up that you were there.
1: How did you arrive
0: in Perth at WAPA?
1: Oh, God. Very good question. Um, It's um, Nigel Rideout, who was the first head of theatre at WAPA, I'd worked with in London and also in Berkeley in California. So when Nigel was appointed, Head of head of the acting department. They were looking for you know directors and and he thought of and inv- he invited Lyle Jones and myself over from from London just to you know uh, Lyle and uh, I think Lyle always wanted to return to Australia but you know so it, for me it was just another job. I came over for three months. I directed a play, you know, did some teaching, went back to London. Um, and then, uh, you know, events. I was breaking up from a relationship with my girlfriend in London, and met um, who became my wife here. Yeah, so, I made a huge decision to, you know, to leave my career and you know, the house I owned in London, and in sort of, kind of, very, very strange. So, you know, I met Jeff Gibbs in London, and we had a chat, and you know, so uh, it, it's it's it wasn't anything I'd, I'd ever thought of or planned. It came one of those completely random things that came completely out of the blue, which was, uh, you know, in the scheme of things, life changing.
0: Did you have any expectations about what you were coming
1: to? I had no idea. You see, I had no idea about Australia or particularly Perth. Um, and so I, I hadn't a, a clue, I hadn't got a clue, you know. So, um, uh, you know, but um, when I arrived, I think, I think WAP was very, very fortunate to have Nigel in those early years because, you know, he'd run Central in London, And a very sophisticated understanding of acting training, and so what what he put in place was very, you know, was really kind of excellent. It obviously had all its teething, you know, problems finding its way, and all the rest of it is, you know, a bit more chaotic than it is now because it's come a kind of well-oiled machine over the years. But um, like any new venture, it was, you know, it's fantastic to be in at the beginning of it and to you know just to and those early students i'm still I well, directed in 1983 i'm still in touch with a lot of them and yeah and uh, yeah so but it was a kind of bizarre thing in my life and here i am still back in perth,
0: <laughs> perth yeah you um you spoke about growing up in cold bleak uk what was it like arriving yeah. in wa with that that the brightness of light and the heat and did you become mm. a surfer
1: uh, <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I surf to work every day more or less you know and, uh, yeah no, no I'm not I actually don't like the summers here still I used to go and um, I still try and get away every 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 summer for a period I just find the heat here just really. it gets hot doesn't it it gets really really hot and day after day after day I think um yeah, but I, you know, I do like I do like Perth, and I you know I, I love Australia very much, and um, you know I spent half my life here now, and it's a, so it's an extraordinary extraordinary thought. But very proud of those those you know, what's achieved at WAPA, and um, yeah, an amazing time of my life.
0: There's a, a plethora of training schools around uh, that didn't exist thirty years ago. What do you think yeah. that does to the industry? Or when, when we did have a thriving industry and it wasn't uh, no, we did have a thriving industry. Put on no. pause for a while.
1: Yeah, I'm it's a tricky question because I think um, yeah, I think I'm I'm very I hate it when I feel that drama drama schools are aren't really Training people rigorously, but really kind of you know, money-making things or or whatever and kind of will take anybody. I'm, I'm not. Been, I hope I'm not being rude, but um, no, I agree because
0: there are some gurus out there who uh, purport to uh, to know it all, and and uh, there are never
1: trust speakers. a guru. Never <laughs> trust a guru. Keen Actually, and
0: eager, I, vulnerable uh, students who who yes, do anything And
1: I hate. I hate, that. I, hate the, I hate the guru thing. Actually, I think it, um, I forget a very famous English director said, You know, I'd like to be a guru, but I can't do the silences. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was another good line. Um, but yes, I, I'm very wary of gurus because it doesn't work like that. You know, it's a much more practical thing. I think anyone who says, You know, messianic, I have the answer, be very suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> my opinion.
0: So, so, what makes uh, good or effective? Training. What what needs to be covered in in a theatre acting course?
1: Oh, you know, I, I think all the basic things of um, you know, sort of the basic. I, I think often it's Stanislavski's things. You know, you need really good movement program, voice, particularly. I think is uh, is something that um, you know, is so important. But um, I you know what I what I worry about is, uh, and so I know Jeff Gibbs um, always worried about. You know, we're in a relationship with a university that. Some of the the rigor and the hour, literal hours, contact hours, might be starting to be diminished in drama schools, you know, and so it's more a kind of university course. And you know, uh, I think Lyle Jones, who who I like very very much and admired as a teacher, always used to say, there comes a point where it's not you're not really training the actors. They're having a great time can be in a drama school with all that, that entails great fun, but you're not really getting that. You know, nine to six. Rigor with voice, with your body, with you know, challenging yourself, and um, you know, how easily I think acting training can be really below par if you're not not careful. So, I think it's kind of you know, um, yeah, uh, when, it, when it works, it's extraordinary. And I think, you know, um, you know, obviously, whopper and nider and VCA over the years have, have produced wonderful actors, but um, I'm a little bit fearful of the future, yeah.
0: yeah. There's so much that needs to be covered in, in a three-year course. It's just not the time to do it all. But, but one thing I think that, that is essential is an appreciation of style. And I yes. see so, the work of so many actors and, and directors who don't appreciate or have, have any knowledge of that. You know, you go to see um, uh, Cyrano de Bergerac and you've got, you know, 30 actors up there doing five different plays. Um, well
1: that's right i know and, and yes of course and, and i think you know what, one of the jobs of a director is to bring everyone into the same world and into the same play um, you know that's and that's sometimes very difficult when you've got actors of different you know skill levels or you know rehearsal processes or or, or whatever but um yes um yeah and it's it's so rare now to see you know when you've got say 30 actors but you know if you want to play on these days you write to play for three or two or one you know and um, that's what i'm grateful for that, that you know some of the plays that i've uh, evolved at whopper or wrote for whopper you know just using big casts and being able to have those big picture um things you know and and really confront major themes and uh, and so forth you know like my play the devil's tunic you know big 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 kind of epic theater things which you couldn't possibly do in professional theatre these days.
0: No, no. Does age make for a better actor or, or longevity? Do, do you find actors get better as
1: they get older or does it just uh, depend on, the, I, on I the, think, their
0: life's palette?
1: I, I think it yeah, really varies. I think, you know, many great actors um, sometimes think, no, you know, this. I mean, Paul Newman, or, you know, Brando, or Jack Nicholson really kind of, just started playing the fool I I think there's a time when people just kind of get over it um and I think you know some some actors do but I think as you know one of the, the the really hard things for actors is to do it and if you're not being able to practice your craft a lot then you know you don't evolve and you don't really develop or you just you know stay stuck on your same old tricks and things that worked for you before and you know you don't really challenge yourself and um it's it's a it's a very difficult profession, um I think, and of course lines and even, literally the thing of learning lines becomes a lot harder often as, as as some actors get older, and that's why so many older actors like to learn their lines before rehearsals begin just for that kind of level of security so um so I think it's a case by case thing really you know some actors really blossom as they get older and and some you know just just become cynical and Embedded and rely on all tricks. So it's a, it's a funny
0: one. Uh, acting training is, um, it teaches us all sorts of, of the basics and gives us a, a foundation, which is, <laughs> is vital. Um, I've got a quote here for, from David Mamet for you. He says, In uh, a school, young actors are learning subservience. Their aim is to please the teacher. The best way to learn is in front of an audience. What are, your, what are your thoughts on mr mamet i
1: yeah, I know david Mamet's thoughts about um you know there there are very few actual very good acting teachers as well, and I think he's actually right probably i don't always agree with um uh, old particularly these days i think he's he's um you know he's gone a bit strange let's say <laughs> but uh, um, it is something you you have you know you, you can this stuff you can learn at drama school of course, there is, and I spent you know a lot of my career doing that, and you can instill many things. But also, you know, there's there's nothing like actually learning, you know, when you're actually on a stage and understanding how an audience is responding to you. There's nothing like that as well. So um, I understand what, what Mamet's on about there, yeah. Yeah.
0: Similar to you and your uh, director training and just getting a, a project and, and going for it.
1: That's right, actually. And I, I do think... Um, you know, teaching directing is even harder than teaching acting. Actually, I think because um, I think you know, some people stay as assistant directors or you know whatever far too long. And there's you if you want to direct, you really just have to get a group of people together and see whether you can do it and find out. In in my opinion, I I think it's very hard to train directors. You you know you can to a degree, but to actually um, you know to to make it really effective, I remember my. Uh, Going to the um, uh, Moscow Art Theatre School, uh, and, uh, and I was talking about di- directing, teaching directing. And the man said, No, you directing, no, impossible to, to teach, you know, rubbish, you know, no, no. So he was very dismissive of the idea you could train, train directors.
0: <laughs> oh, yes, yes.
1: And that um, was one of the nice things, actually, that, that, that I'm very grateful for at WAPRO is that I. I took, you know, students to, I took a whole production to Hong Kong, I took a whole production to Dublin, I took a group of students to the Conservatoire in Paris. I thought it was so important for them to see other, you know, students went to, you know, St. Petersburg School, to Moscow Arts Theatre School um, from WAPA, you know, and I'm, I think that's one of my, the things I'm very happy about from my tenure as um, there is the kind of internationalisation of WAPA and making, and you know, uh, students being able to experience watching other cultures work and other training methods in practice. So that was i a, a, um, you know, I'm very grateful for that.
0: It used to be a common belief that active training was about breaking down the individual and and rebuilding them, uh, but surely acting training isn't as brutal as that. What what was mm-hmm. your approach to to nurturing uh,
1: a virgin? No, I, th- I think it was. Uh, I'm I'm actually I'm. Um, it's funny. I, I'm a very patient person as a director I'm very very patient I'm not particularly in life and I'm a worrier and, and, and full of anxieties in life but somehow as a director I'm, I'm quite calm and sort together and I, I hate that whole notion of you know break them down and build them up I think I think one of the big things that you know from people Declan Donnellan, Helen Akebourne, people I've spoken to over the years I've all said it's all to do with creating an atmosphere in the rehearsal room where people feel, you know, Declan Donham talks, talk, talk to me about, um, uh, you know, home must be safe. That rehearsal room has to be safe if you're going to actually do good work. So I think the idea of the, you know, the old fashioned director who you know, have a whipping boy or girl as ever were, were known, you know, just doesn't work. Because in my experience, if, if, Actors are supported and nurtured and, you know, you, you have to kind of, you know, push when need, needs be. But, you know, if, if it's an atmosphere of creativity and support, the work is better. It's as simple as that. And we discussed that during this rehearsal period for the other plays, Funny enough, saying, you know, it's just important to, that we're all. And it's quite a heavy play. So, you know, directorial strategies, I kept the rehearsal room very light. You know, so lots of, lots of jokes, lots of fun. Because the subject matter itself was so, you know, so so harsh in many ways, um, you know, so so all ways of working. But definitely, I hate the, the idea of the you know, break them down.
0: Yeah, and finding a moment at the end of that rehearsal period also to just take off the uh, the residue of the of the rehearsal and, and leave it in the rehearsal room, uh, so you can go home and lead a relatively no. normal life.
1: No. no. <laughs> relatively that's right no that's so important for actors as well to be able to you know uh, you know mike lee is one of what uh, is a person who's had probably the most effect on my my work method someone i admire very much as a filmmaker and uh, all the rest of it um and he when he's making films he always he talks about the characters as he or she so he says you know you don't say i other than you get confused that I am that person. So he actually says coming out of character and then discusses them objectively, which I think is actually an interesting way. So you don't take that person home with you.
0: Uh, As actors, we've got to find the right method that works for us or the process that that we can find results with, whether that be Stanislavski or or the method or or the Kaminsky method. What about that, have you seen the Kaminsky method?
1: I have, I think it's brilliant. Yeah. They're so good, those two. You know, just two, two fine actors having fun, really. You know.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. It's wonderful. What about your method? Where, how have you evolved that? And and what, what you have to be a bowler bird, I suppose, and take a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and and mould it into
1: your own style. That's right. Yes, and I, I, that's that's exactly what I've done. You know, kind of, and you know you. You have to go into every production kind of innocently in a way. You know, you don't say this works because it doesn't. You have to... I remember seeing an interview with Peter Brook um, and, you know, someone in the audience saying, you know, when do you introduce the, you know, this particular method he'd seen me use? And he said, Let me know, I don't. Sometimes I never use it. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I use it early. Sometimes it's late. Often I won't use it at all. You know, he got quite irritable at the thought that there is you know, a method you impose on every production that somehow has results. So I always try and go in, in a kind of completely sort of open way, try and read what the actors are doing, what the actors are offering and, you know, one actor will offer one thing, others are, you know, other things and you you work with that. So, um, you know, I, I, I watch mainly, I don't often, you know, after read through I don't relate to my script a lot. I kind of really am observing if they're in relationship, if they're listening, you know, all, all those things, and just having ideas. So it's a, it's a very, um, yeah, it, it varies completely. But, you know, I would say Mike Lee um, had an enormous um, effect on me just because I love that everything is an insistence on being truthful and real, and it's as simple as that. And if you can do that, then you can't go far wrong, actually.
0: And make it as organic and as authentic as possible.
1: Yes, absolutely, you know, so the Mike Alfred's different every night stuff is interesting, you know, all that, all that thing of, you know, changing, you know, Mike Alfred's case and changing blocking and, uh, you know, every night just to keep it vivid and fresh and organic, as you say, and in the moment, all all those things. What about repetition? You
0: know, we're up there doing the same thing every night. Some actors have the the joy of doing it for a year. Uh, Yes. Does repetition wear away the truth? How uh, how do we manage repetition in long runs?
1: Yeah, I think, it, interesting. My my um, my girlfriend in London did several um long runs in the West End, and she'd come home sometimes and say, you know, I suddenly panic because I think, have, have we done that scene? Have we? You know, you know, you kind of go on automatic pilot. You don't know what what you've done. So I think um, talking to actors who've done long runs is to constantly remind yourself just to go back to listening to, you know, sometimes, um, you know, Peter Barkworth talked about playing carelessly, not in the sense of without work, but just sort of playing lightly sometimes, or, you know, play the opposite sometimes of what you, what you've done, just to keep it organic and fresh. So I think there are strategies, but it's full of dangers along the way, particularly comedies, actually. Um, Actors and comedies are almost always miserable. Because you have to kind of do the same thing every night. You know, right. you have to hit those, you know what I mean? You have to do that.
0: Yeah, the, the rhythm and the timing. Yeah, yeah, the, the double take, all, the, the, all, the pratfalls.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that become, become, you know, so, and I remember Peter Hall saying about he went to visit a company that was on tour and he said in, on, in a comedy and he'd never met such a miserable lot of actors in his life because they felt trapped. They felt trapped and couldn't find. Well,
0: they're locked, you know, because, they're locked into that shape of the, of the production.
1: Yeah, because there's a mechanical aspect to it, Mm. if you like, you know, that it's worked out mechanically. And, you know, you have to kind of adhere to that if you're going to get your laughs. So Mm. it's an interesting one. Whereas King Lear, you can muck about a bit more.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Permission to muck around. Exactly. Title of my
1: autobiography.
0: I like that. I like that. (laughs) Right, make a note. So, director, actor, you've also created texts for the stage, you know, as a playwriter with The Butcher's Dance, Bacon and Eggs, Paradise, The Devil's Tunic,
1: Out of yeah. Here.
0: What is it about playwriting that, that fulfils you?
1: Oh, um, well, I didn't start writing until I was about 40, actually, because um, I hadn't got anything to say, probably. Um, and then I just sort of started, you know, writing some plays and, um, you know, my play... Uh, paradise I, think. I i i paradise is the only play of mine i think that's kind of classically structured come kind of hero's journey sort of thing the others are more kind of you know sort of all over the place kind of strange strange plays um but you know i uh, i do find the writing business um quite difficult um and i don't write every day or, or anything like that um when i write i write in Absolute bursts of of energy, you know, kind of obsessively, over a relatively short, short period of time. Um, that's the kind of how it works for me, rather than the more measured, long distance runner approach. You know, where you get up every day and do do bits. So I'm a sprinter in that sense.
0: What have those plays been about? Just to, like
1: bacon oh, and eggs. I,
0: I, I love the title. But tell me about bacon and eggs.
1: Uh, well, um, because when I started painting, oh, you know, if you look at my bookshelves now, all my books are about painters and not about theatre. Because I, when I started painting, I just became very interested in the lives of painters, and the, the the person who fascinates me most is Francis Bacon, the 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 English painter. You know, along with Picasso, probably the the greatest painter of the twentieth century. Um, you know, I love I love his work and his life, It in, in, totally intrigued me you know, the kind of gilded gutter life as it was described, you know, in Soho, you know, he'd, you know, he'd drink himself stupid and still, you know, every day and still manage to do some of the finest paintings imaginable. And so I just wrote, wrote and um, actually the first draft, uh, I was commissioned to write and direct a play in Dublin. And um, a, a, a full length play, and part of that was about Francis Bacon because Francis Bacon's studio is in Dublin. So when he died, every brush, every rag, every bit of um, newspaper on, on the floor was taken to Dublin from London. And, and so you can actually see it as it was the day he died, the day he left that studio uh, at the Hugh Lane Gallery in Dublin. And so I put that in my Dublin play. Um, and then um, I wrote, uh, I, I kind of extracted it and, and had it as a, as a short play. Um, that went on the, uh, the old fits in, uh, in Sydney, got which got great reviews. But I think it's um it's kind of to do with my obsessions. You know, I'd like I've read a play about Cuba because I'm interested in revolutionary politics. I wrote a play about the the the, the Qatar who were um, uh, destroyed in, in the in, in medieval France in in my play The Devil's Tunic. And The Devil's Tunic, of course, got you know they had to cause all sorts of fuss because it was about the bloodline of Christ as well. And so um, people salted the lighting board trying to destroy the production. We had to get extra security on. Um, it was quite an extraordinary event.
0: More theatre on and and
1: great. I actually thought, OK, you know, is normally incredibly tedious um, and dull, in my opinion. So it was nice to see that sometimes theatre can still be provocative and, you know, stir things up a bit. As long as we get a reaction. Yeah, I I think, and none of my plays, I don't think, are, you know, you don't write them to get that kind of reaction. You don't think, oh, I'll write a controversial play. And that's not the way it works, do you know what I mean? But I think sometimes the subject matter. Um, And I love Francis Bacon said, you know, he said in his painting, he liked to unlock the vowels of feeling. You know, that, that he went, what he talked about is going straight from his nervous system to the canvas. With no, nothing in between, no monetary. Yeah. And I think if you can get that enacting sometimes, that's really fantastic. You know, if you unlock the valves of feeling to a kind of purity, then, then you're in business. But you've very rarely seen that.
0: It's extraordinary, isn't it? People like Bacon and all those great Well, with the Beatles, they had to be fueled by alcohol or drugs in order to create that yeah. mastery. That yes, yeah, almost. And all would right. they have been able to do it sober?
1: Well, I mean, some bacon stuff you know he didn't you know was um he th- he said he actually painted better with a hangover because he had to focus more <laughs> <laughs> but you know some, some another um painter I love is Lucent Freud, who I want to write a play about as well um who who died recently, uh, who's another great great painter um, Self destruct you know, kind of very interesting man. So, you know, I just find the, these figures entirely fascinating. And I want to write another play about Francis Bacon, about his nanny, actually, his blind nanny who lived with him for years and years. Uh, an amazing story. So, there's, no, there's hopefully Bacon and Eggs, will be a companion piece to that coming soon.
0: Have you directed with The Hangover?
1: No, <laughs> no. Uh, oh, Quite well, I quite possibly have. But I remember in in Rep when I was in my twenties, we all went out one lunchtime and had a few beers, as you did in those days in the seventies. And I fell asleep in the rehearsal in the afternoon, so the actors were acting away and I was, you know, snoring away. And I woke up fairly quickly, and I don't think they noticed, but I thought never drink at lunchtime again. Yes. Do
0: you direct your own work, and and I do. is that challenging?
1: Um, it, it is, but I think my I think my style is so particular. I think it's sort of you know, it's just the way it worked. And what particularly, and I kind of like having the control over them. And um, yeah, you know, in a few years ago, I you know, as I said, I um, wrote a new play for Dublin, and that was great working with Irish actors. And uh, I've been commissioned. Actually, I was meant to be in Ireland this year, writing directing my new play, but unfortunately, COVID came. So. I've been commissioned again for next year to write and direct in Dublin, so let's hope that that um, is able to to happen. Fingers crossed. That's what I like. I kind of like my own projects now. You know, I just think, uh, you know, at the stage I am, I just am interested in kind of doing the work that really intrigues me. Now,
0: Chris, I'm wondering if uh, you could please uh, spell this word for me. Pronouncer. (laughs) Pronouncer.
1: P-R-O-N. O U N C E R, that correct. is correct.
0: <laughs> yes. How did that How did that gig come about?
1: Oh man, I'll the Great you.
0: Australian Spelling Bee.
1: I know. And you I were nominated. For,
0: were you nominated for best new talent at the Logie Awards too?
1: I certainly was. I didn't <laughs> win. Right. I think someone from home and away is about twenty and much better looking. one, of course. No, it's <laughs> um, no, it's very interesting. The Whopper graduates. Um, and Walker um wife is a casting agent, and she just gave me a ring and said, "Look, they can't find someone to do this thing with Grant Daniel and Chrissy Swain, and would you be interested?" I said, "No, nah, not really, my sort of cup of tea." And, um, but anyway, eventually I ended up doing a, a Skype sort of audition thing for it, and then they offered me the thing. So there I was on um, on Channel Ten, you know, in uh, you know in. Looking vaguely professorial, I think was the look they wanted. So, um, yes, <laughs> I don't know. I know, but actually, I loved it. I actually loved.
0: it. Oh, you seem you seem very much at home. It was it was terrific.
1: Yeah, I enjoyed it, and you know, working with someone like Grant Denyer and and Chrissy with who were so, cluey and professional, and you know, the the producers were absolutely wonderful um, to me in terms of supporting me and guiding me if i'm you know because it was a new world to me you know i didn't know how to there were nine cameras whizzing around and I hadn't got, not a clue really um but i ended up really and i loved it all you know it's sort of it's, in, in a strange way it was full circle kind of acting again and one i remember grant denier coming on and introducing you know we, we came on early and said hi to the audience and he said playing the part of the pronouncer was chris Edmunds," and i went oh it's actually kind of true, you know, and I am actually acting this. It's not, it's kind of version of me. And I thought, yeah. you know, what an interesting, so I've come all the way from, you know, training as an actor to somehow come kind of doing an acting job. So it was, um, no, well, I, I really, like, I loved it. Yeah, it's like all
0: those reality shows where yeah, people are playing a part. I don't know if they are their authentic self or there's bits of them, but they're creating a role. Would that be the villain or, or the, the, yeah, the funny I know. person, the
1: clown? yeah I know it's an interesting one isn't it? Um, and I certainly it kind of helped me actually and actually you know some of the you know the things I taught as uh, in acting, you know I had to communicate really well with the the young spellers, you know, it's you know in terms of clarity Connecting and a relationship and, you know, yeah. yeah establishing a relationship where they felt safe and secure and you know and, and I tried to do my job, so it was a a, a real joy to do, actually, surprisingly, because I didn't know what to expect, but um, yeah. it's great fun.
0: Now, I know that the great actors, or the people we consider our great actors, are mere mortals, but to me, I, I think they take on a godlike presence. <laughs> do you bec- would you become stage-struck around any particular actor? I'm not saying have you, but are there actors that you might become a bit sort of just in awe of?
1: Oh, I'm sure there would be lots of them, you know, I think... Um, yeah, I mean, imagine working with you know with a with a Meryl Streep or someone of that kind of, you know that kind of. You know, that kind of career. I mean, working with Kate Walsh on this play, you know, she's such an experienced, um, such an experienced actor uh, and quite extraordinary. You know, just and sometimes you know she'd be doing things. And I thought, well, this is really quite remarkable. I'm very, you know, what what a privilege. To be working someone who brings such I talk about unlocking the valves of feeling, you know, uh, such access to emotion, such access to such creativity, and I am kind of in awe of that. You know, with, with, with you know, when actors are really on it, you know, I, I really genuinely love actors, and lots of directors don't. They hate actors, but I actually really like working with actors. You know, it's problematic sometimes, but when um, you know, when they're on. But I'm sure there are, there are many, many actors who, um, you know, I'd love to work with, but would be, you know, Gary Oldman. I mean, you know.
0: <laughs> there you go. It's not
1: someone, someone like that. You, you, you'd think, you knew, you'd know, they would challenge you and you wouldn't be able to, you know, do your, your old stuff. You'd have to really raise your game and be, uh, you know, on top form just to match there. And they, and
0: they would bring with them also uh, the whole repertoire of all the roles they've played. And, you know, you, you'd see Gary Oldman as um, Winston Churchill or Joe Orton or yes, Commissioner Gordon of in God. Batman. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's right. Or, you know, Sid Vicious. You know, I mean, the roles he, he's played. I first saw him in a Mike Lee film called Meantime, him and Tim Roth as really young men. And I went, my God, who is this guy, you know? Oldman, he was so, so authentic and so truthful, and so you know, so profound in his work. It's, some of you go, yeah, all right, you know, he can go there. And I think you know, lots of actors won't, you know, because everyone armors themselves and puts up armor, and they're reluctant to, to open, you know, the valves of feeling, the old Francis Bacon stuff. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, 2020 has been a shitty year uh, Chris Edmund but um it hopefully counts. we've all managed to find some silver linings I mean you know there in Perth with an opportunity to work with Kate Walsh and and direct that play oh. and um, I think it. a lot of a lot of creatives have found the time to to get on with that project that they always said oh I'll write that play or I'll uh, develop yes. it, that, that act or
1: yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, I think, yeah, it's it's been a very interesting one, isn't it? So maybe there are, you know, silver linings. And um, I think it's had interesting effect. And I felt it myself. I know, you know, colleagues I spoke to say, sometimes I want to be creative and do things, but I sink into a kind of apathy and anxiety. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, Which absolutely. is debilitating. So if if you can overcome those those drawbacks from this horrendous year. And, and really you know do the things you've always had on your mind to you know that write that play or create that you know begin that novel write that short story or poem then it won't have been in vain but um it's been a t- tough old time hasn't it and you know particularly for our industry
0: yeah well uh, um chook is for ireland next year i hope that um is on I the hope horizon so. very soon yeah. yeah thanks for the chat chris
1: my my great pleasure thanks so much and um Yeah, it's been a great pleasure. Thank you. Explore more of Chris's writing
0: and visual arts product on his website, chris-edmund.com. That's E-D-M-U-N-D, chris-edmund.com. You can access his work as a playwright and painter. Do check it out. Thanks for joining us today. It's always a joy to have your company. I'm Peter Eyes, and you've been listening to The Stages Podcast. Keep well, keep warm, stay safe, and I'll catch you next time.